Welcome to Ask the Expert with noted radio host Steve Sleeper. Each week, Steve interviews entrepreneurs and professionals and shares their intriguing stories of success and service. Now, here's radio veteran Steve Sleeper. Our guest today is Jonathan Winnicore with Winnicore Law in Dallas, Texas. He's a sixth-generation Texan and a fourth-generation Texas trial lawyer who has built his practice on advancing the rights of the injured, displaced, the poor, and those treated unfairly. Attorney Winnicore is persistent and disciplined, always maintaining a focused eye on his client's goals. I began the interview by asking Jonathan about his Texas roots. My great-grandfather on my mom's side began a practice in Marshall, Texas in the latter part of the 19th century, and he was very successful litigating against the railroad companies, who were the, the, the sort of industrial behemoths, I guess, of that era, and that practice was maintained through the course of the 20th century, and so I, in some sense, picked up that mantle when I graduated from law school here in Dallas in 2002. And while I didn't want to practice directly with the family firm in Marshall and chose to practice here in Dallas, uh, the ethos and the, uh, the focus of my practice is very much in line with the, the, what, I, what I inherited, for want of a better term. I, I, the mission statement that our firm operates under is a voice for you. We see that as meaning that we act as advocates, advocates for justice, meaning that we call for each and every one of our clients to be treated justly. We choose to represent people whom our society and culture in some ways renders voiceless. Those are people who are rendered voiceless either permanently in the sense that many of our clients are poor uh, from deprived economic backgrounds. They might be recent immigrants um, they might be members of minorities, and as a result, they suffer institutional barriers to being able to speak their truth, and they suffer institutional barriers to inclusion and recognition, and essentially, it's hard for them to be heard. So we provide those folks a voice. There are also people who are rendered voiceless temporarily, uh, and I, I say that in the sense, I mean that in the sense that people find themselves in severely compromised positions by virtue of an adverse event. That, can, that might be a catastrophic injury, it might be the death of a family member, or it might even be something like termination of an employment relationship. Often people in those circumstances who, who might have enjoyed a position of relative privilege before are deeply impacted by recognition of their vulnerability in the face of a, of a social and cultural environment here that sees victimhood in some sense as blameworthy. It can be a real psychological challenge recognizing that bad things happen to good people. And that challenge is made more difficult by those who have an interest in perpetuating the blame the victim cultural phenomenon. I would characterize those actors as, for example, insurance companies, employers in some contexts, financial institutions, and broadly speaking, corporations generally. So having said that, while we focus on representation of individuals, we also have represented small to medium-sized businesses in commercial disputes. It's not something that we do with a great amount of frequency, 
but SMBs can find themselves cast in the role of blameworthy victims too, uh, particularly when dealing with large vendors or purchasers or insurance companies. So they too need an articulate voice. And that's what we try to provide is an articulate voice for our clients who themselves are either voiceless by virtue of their position in society or have been rendered voiceless as the result of some kind of misfortune. Well, you just mentioned insurance companies, so that's a nice segue into the uh, portion of your practice that handles personal injury cases. Why do I need an attorney if I've been in a car accident and it's not my fault? Well, I think circling back to what I said a moment ago, precisely because of the blameworthy victim culture I just alluded to, that, that culture, which has its origins in a sort of amoral and immoral aspect of our human nature, provides perfect fodder for an industry that relies on people being cowed into thinking they're somehow responsible for misfortune that is actually the result of another's negligence or carelessness. And that's, that is the insurance industry I'm talking about. That business model relies on increasing its harvest of premium dollars and reducing or eliminating its payouts. The insurance industry has enormous resources to bring to bear. And to get a sense of that, all you need to do is look at the largest purchases of advertising in this country, from sponsorship of televised sports to incessant TV commercials. And that those well-produced commercials are at the premium dollar harvesting side of things. In other words, generating income for the insurance company. On the other side of the equation are the interminable delays in claims processing, the unjust denials of legitimate claims, the undermining of those claims through the trickery of adjustment and legal defense. From the outset, insurers facing liability exposure are motivated to eliminate that exposure where they can. And if not, to reduce the monetary requirements that that exposure presents to them. So that starts as soon as they are on notice of a claim. That's why an attorney is such a vital resource when you're in that posture. We advise all our clients to be very circumspect in their initial dealings with any insurer, whether it's the insurer or of a a liable third party, in other words, of, of a negligent entity that might be responsible for their injury, or even their own insurer in the context of a first party claim where they're seeking compensation from their own insurance company. I think attorneys also provide a a resource to assist needy clients who might lack health insurance or who may have been rendered unemployable as a result of their injuries. Attorneys can can offer to protect the medical provider's bills in that context until a settlement is reached and then negotiate a reduction in that bill to a rate greater than that paid by private insurance, but less than 100%. That's good for the medical provider and good for the client. Even for those who have good medical insurance or for those covered by the Veterans Administration, Medicare or Medicaid, a good personal injury attorney can negotiate reductions in the amounts sought by those entities in their capacity as subrogies after settlement of a claim um, when they seek reimbursement for money paid out on healthcare claims. Uh, An attorney who understands the various kinds of subrogation claims and reimbursement rights can significantly increase the value of an injured person's claim. So I think, uh, you know, personal injury attorneys are a vital resource to people who are in a position of vulnerability. How do I know if I have a case that I can bring to an attorney such as yourself? You know, there's sort of different ways to answer that. 
the simple answer is if liability is clear and you're hurt, you have a case. A more complex analysis would involve a situation where liability might be disputed. So where the potential defendant is suggesting that they're not liable, perhaps there's some contributory negligence argument to be made where they believe that the person who was injured was partially at fault. Those, those things can make life complicated for lawyers trying to determine if a case is viable. And as attorneys, we have to, we have to measure, we have to sort of balance some interests because we've got to make sure we're taking on cases that are likely to result either in a, a jury verdict that is significant enough to warrant the expense and time and effort required to get there or, or a settlement, similarly a settlement. And that requires a balancing of the, the liability with the damages. So you may have a case where liability is clear, but the damages are so slight that it just doesn't make a lot of economic sense to bring the case. Uh, or you may have a case where liability is extremely hard to establish and disputed, but the damages are so significant that it makes economic sense to attempt the case, even if the liability is unclear. Those latter cases are the ones that provide the real intellectual challenge and indeed the, the monetary challenge for attorneys because we have to invest in experts and the number of depositions and various different modalities of fact-finding that are part of the litigation process. But those are the cases that frequently result in, in significant, uh, significant victories, I guess would be the best way to put it. The, the cases where liability is easy to prove and the damages are, are, are significant tend to be resolved relatively quickly without too much controversy. It's where you have big damages and hard liability where you're going to work hard for your money. That's, that's where attorneys have to make difficult calls about whether a case is viable. Um, but, but again, to, go, to, to circle back to what I said at the beginning, if liability is relatively clear, or even if it's somewhat opaque, in other words, even if it's contested, but if the damages are significant, then that's a viable case. You have a case. Another way to, to look at it, that's a very sort of practical, pragmatic way to, to talk about it. In a more theoretical sense, a tort arises whenever a duty is breached by a negligent actor and there are damages that flow from that breach. The other aspect of the analysis is whether the damages would, been, would have been foreseeable to the actor who breached their duty. And if you have all those factors in play, then you have a tort and you have a viable, a viable case. For practical purposes, as I said, there are economic considerations and time value considerations that need to be applied. But the, the simple fact of the matter is that if you're hurt by someone violating their duty to you, then you are the victim of negligence and you have a personal injury claim. How do I pay for an attorney in a personal injury case? You pay after a recovery is made. The lawyer advances his time, her effort, and her money. She's only compensated if and when the client is compensated. That's what contingency representation means. The lawyer's fee is entirely contingent on a recovery for the client. If the client doesn't recover, neither does the lawyer. And vitally, all that time and money expended on the case is the lawyer's loss, not the client's. What do I do if the other guy's insurance adjuster calls me? We recommend that you not communicate 
with insurance companies on either side of a claim until you have consulted with an attorney. The most obvious example is a car accident, so I can talk in detail about that. And it would depend on the severity, but assuming that you're still conscious and able to articulate verbally what's going on, we recommend that the first thing you do is document the mechanism of injury. Pull out a phone, take some photographs of the location, the vehicles, the damage to the vehicles. And if you can, without being harassing or rude, ask the at-fault driver to admit fault on camera if they're willing to do it. They may not be. Most people wouldn't, but some will. Once that's done, if there's even moderate vehicle damage, call the police. Ask for an officer to be dispatched to the scene. That will hopefully generate a police report in your favor, which is a very persuasive document. Then seek medical attention. Travel by an ambulance to an ER and get checked out. Even a relatively minor accident can result in significant injuries. It's worth asking for a radiology series if you're at a provider's uh, facility that can give you x-rays on all areas of the body that might have been injured. Ask for a CAT scan if you bumped your head. If you sustained a blow to the head, you definitely want to get that checked out. I would also advise folks ask for a discharge summary with advice as to how to follow up if symptoms persist. Once you're discharged, call an attorney. I haven't mentioned calling an insurance company at all after an accident. I would suggest that the first person you call after you get out of the hospital or out of an ER or out of whatever medical provider you go see after that accident is an attorney. Let the attorney notify the insurance companies that you've been in an accident and that you anticipate making a claim against them. The reason we say that is because insurance companies are designed in some, to some extent to deny or delay claims and their adjusters are well-trained in manipulating the conversation with, with individuals who are suffering the shock or trauma of a recent accident into making statements that can be turned around and used against them later. So we would prefer that you communicate with an attorney before you communicate with an insurance company. Many people think that insurance companies are there to look after them. That's a naive perspective. They really aren't. And so even if it's a relatively, relatively low impact, relatively slight vehicle damage and apparent, apparently very little physical injury type accident, we would advise contacting an attorney first before you speak with any insurance company. Let the attorney talk to the insurance company while you focus on your medical treatment, your medical care, your family, and recovering from a traumatic event because the insurance company is not gonna give you any help in recovering from that event. They're there to try to hold onto your premium dollars and try to delay and ultimately deny your claim. As we do this interview, Jonathan, we're five months into the COVID-19 pandemic. So how are you operating right now during COVID-19? How are you meeting with clients? We, are, we, are, we remain open. Our office is staffed from 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., Monday through Friday, virtually. All of our staff have VoIP telephones that they've been able to take to their residences during the course of any lockdowns that have persisted through the, through the early part of 2020. And I'm actually currently in the office as I speak to you. And if my staff are not able to get to the phone quickly enough because they might have a domestic situation given they're working from home that might interfere with the ability to get to the office phone. The phone rolls over automatically to an answering service that is, that is staffed 24 seven. And then we are sent a text message or an email. So we remain wide open is the best way to put it. 
we'll follow up with you as soon as we get the message from you uh, or from the answering service. And we're also available to meet via Zoom. Uh, we can even do it in person by appointment as long as everyone maintains social distance and wears a mask. This, this pandemic has not interfered with our ability to respond quickly and meaningfully to our clients or to our prospective clients. Are you seeing any delays with uh, claims with COVID-19? Yeah, it would be disingenuous for me to suggest that insurance companies aren't taking advantage of the fact that there has been a delay in the courts, the dockets of the, of the, of the courts in the county where we operate in Dallas are significantly backlogged. They were before the COVID pandemic began. Now they'll be even worse because we've had uh, lockdowns and a prohibition on jury trials uh, that is, I believe, currently set to expire on September the 1st. Of course, that may change given the, the uptick in cases that we've seen here over the past, past weeks. So insurance companies will absolutely take advantage of that delay. Uh, again, anything they can do to delay or deny a claim, they will, they, will, they will do. Now, having said that, in some cases where liability is very clear, damages are in excess of available policy limits, and that's an area of conversation we haven't really gotten into, that, into the weeds as far as insurance practice goes, but some insurers are making reasonable, reasonable offers of settlement in reasonably, reasonably short amounts of time in spite of COVID. So it's hard to say necessarily will COVID deny or delay your claim, but it's, it's more likely than not that it will, which is unfortunate. But, you know, the sooner you push the claim into process, the sooner it will be resolved. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't use COVID as, a, as a, a reason to delay communicating with an attorney if you are involved in an accident of some kind. Our thanks to Jonathan Winnicore with Winnicore Law in Dallas, Texas. He can be reached at 214-575-6060. Thanks for listening to Ask the Expert with Steve Sleeper. Join us next time as entrepreneurs and professionals share their intriguing stories of success and service.